to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I have a message I've entitled, Exercising Faith in Liminal Space. If you don't know what that means, I'll explain it to you in just a minute. But I feel like, I know, I don't just feel, I know that God has given me a direct, specific message to this church for this day. And so I'm just excited to preach this to you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, it's words in red, so it's the words of Jesus. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works, and see, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. You can be seated this morning. Let me help us understand the context for this verse. The apostle Paul, or John rather, who was one of the 12 apostles, was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, for his faith in Jesus Christ and for his witness of the gospel. It was a Roman penal colony. John says that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he had a glorious experience with the resurrected and glorified son of God. And Jesus spoke revelation to him, thus how we got the name of the book. And he began his revelation to John with a distinct message for each of the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is now present day Turkey. And if you'll look, there is a pattern in his presentation. Each message begins with a character self-description by Christ. Let me take you through and show you. To the church at Ephesus, he said, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. To the church at Smyrna, he said, these things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. To the church at Pergamos, he said, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. To the church at Thyatira, he said, these things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like like fine brass. To the church at Sardis, he said, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. To the church at Laodicea, he said, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. But it is his self-description to the congregation at Philadelphia that holds my attention today because it contains a message that God wants us to hear as we begin this new year in 2020. So here's Jesus' self-description. He declares that he is holy, he is true, and he possesses the key of David. Now, most of us who have been in church for a while, I think, can quickly grasp the concept of the holiness of Jesus and the truthfulness of Jesus. In other words, that he is pure, that he is sinless, excuse me, that he is righteous, that he is unique and different from everyone else in creation, excuse me, and that there is no deception in him, that he tells the truth, that every time he speaks, you can count on it as absolute truth. The angel said to Mary, the Holy One, to be born to you will be called the Son of God. I don't like to quote demons from the pulpit, but it's in the Bible that very often when the demons would encounter Jesus, they would say, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Uh, The early church 
prayed that God would perform miracles in the name of his holy servant, Jesus. Are you seeing the pattern? And then John testified in the beginning of his gospel that he and the other apostles saw the glory of Jesus, and he described it this way, glory that was full of grace and full of truth. Okay, so there it is, the truthfulness of Jesus, the holiness. Matter of fact, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so I think we can get our, our hands around the truthfulness of Jesus and the, and the holiness of Jesus. But it is this concept of possessing the key of David that might stump us. And so let me see if I can explain that to you. A key in the Bible is a symbol of authority. In the Middle East, I don't know if it's still like this, but for centuries in the Middle East, they would have these city-states, and you would have a king ruling over the city-state. In the Middle East, when uh, an individual was, when, tr when authority and government was transferred to that individual, a key, a large key was laid upon their shoulder. Have y'all watched that uh, commercial? I don't remember which. Uh, it's Liberty. The Liberty Insurance commercial where you got Doug and, and, and the Lemu, Lemu, Emu, whatever. And, uh, and he hooks the big key to his belt. They give him the key of the city. Okay, kind of the same but different. His is just symbolic, but the key here was symbolic of real authority. Okay, now let me give you a verse in the Bible that's a Christmas verse that will help you. Maybe, maybe it'll make this scripture come alive. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. You see that? It means that the weight of authority and government rests upon him. So that's what the key means. Now, David, if, again, if you've been in church any amount of time, you, you know who David is. Uh, if, if you haven't been in church, maybe you've heard the story of David and Goliath, right? Little David. And David was a sweet psalmist of Israel, and he wrote so many of the psalms in the book of Psalms. What David's most known for is that he was the king. He was the king of the people of Israel, of the people of God. Now, when you put those two together, the key and David, what you get is this. The key of David represents the authority or the government of a king who is sovereign over the people of God, who is in charge and in control, all right? Well, let me just say it as simple as I can. Well, there's only one person who is the king of all kings, and the Lord of all lords, and who is sovereign over every born-again child of God, and his name is Jesus Christ. So he is the key of David, and he possesses the key of David. He has the authority over the people of God. So I'm just going to preach a little bit right now. Can I remind you this morning that if you are saved, if you are born again, if you are a child of God, you are never ever the victim of random circumstances, but rather at every minute and moment in your life, Jesus is in control. That ought to make somebody happy this morning. Sin, Satan, the sinful world, sinful people have no power or influence over your life because Jesus is in control. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Ordered by the Lord. My steps are not ordered by the economy. My steps are not ordered by the amount of money that's in my checking account. My steps are not ordered by the number of friends I have. 
My steps are not ordered by my position in a company or organization. My steps are not ordered by the whims of society. My steps are not ordered by my boss. My steps are not ordered by my education, my health, my achievements in life. Y'all, I'm just preaching right now. My steps are ordered by Jesus, my king, my sovereign, my Lord, my master, the one who's behind the wheel in my life. Come on, somebody give him praise. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said in the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know what that means? That means Jesus can do what he pleases as the king, and no one can resist him or stop him. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? Nobody can resist him or stop him. So listen to me. When God sets out to do something in you, when God sets out to do something through you, when God steps out to do something for you, there aren't enough devils in hell to get in his way. In Isaiah 43, 13, which is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible, God is speaking, and he says, I work, and who will reverse it? Don't you love that verse? I work, and who's going to reverse it? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is who? Nobody. Nobody's going to reverse. I like the American Standard Version. I looked this up because I like this one even better. The, 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 it translates this, this verse this way. I will work, and who can hinder it? Who can, hit, who can get in God's way when God's made up his mind about you? My God, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. Nobody can. You know, I got to thinking in the Bible, he split the waters of the Red Sea, and the water could not resist him. He made the sun stand still for, for, uh, for uh, uh, Joshua. I'll get it right. I had Joseph and Jacob in my head. He had made the sun stand still for Joshua. Nature couldn't resist him. He rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire, and the fire could not burn them. And even Jesus himself came out of that tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning, and death was powerless to hold him down. I don't know if you're getting it or not. I'm just telling you today, he has all power, all authority, and when God makes up his mind to do something for you, it shall come to pass. Hallelujah. So let's look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the one who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, it's obvious here that Jesus is talking about a door. He even refers to that. He says to the church in verse 8, see, to the church filled up, he said, see, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it. All right? Because the doors are open, doors are closed, doors are locked, doors are unlocked. And in the Bible, doors represent divinely ordained opportunities for God's people. So I want to stop exegeting this text right now. And I want to be prophetic in my proclamation. When I was studying, the Lord came on me, Spirit of God came on me, and I literally have in my notes a prophetic word for 2020. As a prophetic word, I want you to judge it, I want you to contemplate it. I welcome the leadership of this church to judge this prophetic word like we judge any revelatory gift, whether that's a message in tongues or interpretation. But I stand here today telling you that I'm convinced that God has given me a prophetic word. And I think it will, could apply to all of us, but will apply to many of us. And some of you right now, this is going to resonate with your spirit, and it's going to stir you up. Here's a prophetic word that God has given me. 
Number one, God is going to shut some doors in your life this year. There is, that means that, that a season that you have been in is going to come to an end and you will experience a necessary transition. It's going to happen. And that, that, that closing of that door may make you uncomfortable. There may be pain that's involved with it, but you cannot run from that. It's going to happen, and you need to prepare yourself for it. You don't need to fight and grumble and whine and say, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening to me? But you have to have enough spirituality to say, this is the hand of the Lord. Now, I can't tell you what that thing will be because that's too subjective. But I'll give you some examples. It could be the relationship may end. You may leave your place of employment. A life-changing deal may fall through for you. And your ministry may change. Uh, I, I, you may say, well, Pastor, why would God let a life-changing deal fall through if it's, a, if it's this deal that I work on? Because if it goes through and you may see all the good things that will happen, guess what? You can't see the future. God says, yeah, you'll have short-term good things, but this will put you on a trajectory away from my will and what I want to do in your life. And, and all the department leaders are going to hate to hear this. And I'm not encouraging this. You better hear from God if you do this. But it may be that God speaks to you so clear that you're troubled that you go to a department leader and say, I have to step down because I feel like God is closing the door for me in this ministry. Now, all the department leaders, don't worry because that means God, God, this means God will open a door and somebody else will come in. But you see what I'm saying? Seasons will end. And I'm going to say something else here. I think there's another meaning here. People who had access to you are going to lose that access. What do I mean? These are persons or people who will hold you back from fulfilling the will of God, who hinder you in your walk with the Lord, and I am declaring prophetically that some of you will be set free from these people and their negative influence. It may hurt you. You may not understand it. They'll cut you off. They won't call you. They won't have anything to do with you. They get another circle of friends. They, don't, they, they won't even respond to you anymore. You don't understand it, and it may, it may disappoint you. It may hurt you in your heart, but listen to me. God knows that those people, as much as you love them, have been holding you back and they will hold you back from walking through the door that God has for you and that season and that relationship must end. I want to continue because this prophetic word is based on this written word in the Bible, Revelation. Another prophetic word for 2020 is that God is going to open some doors in your life this year. Doors of opportunity. This means a new season will begin and you're going to find yourself in places and with people that are new to you. And you cannot be afraid of this. You cannot be intimidated by this. You cannot pull back from this. But you must walk boldly into your new season in faith and in confidence in the Lord. This is a prophetic word. Now, what is that going to be? I don't know. But I can... I can surmise that it will be new relationships. I can surmise that it will be um, life-changing phone calls, life-changing emails, life-changing conversations, maybe new employment, a new ministry that God's going to call you to. There are going to be open doors. 
There is another meaning here that's very similar. It's the antithesis of the first one. God is going to place in your life people that will accelerate you in your walk with God. They will encourage you to go deeper in Christ, to walk and live in the power of the Spirit. And you cannot doubt this work of the Lord, but you must pursue these relationships with a commitment that will not wane. And, I, and I, I did this in the first service because I felt it so strong in my spirit. I'm going to say this. I always want to build you up. But every once in a while, I just got to, I got, I got to call a duck a duck. So I'm going to look up at the ceiling so nobody emails me and say, Pastor, you look straight at me when you said that. But listen to me. Some of you, you've allowed the world and the things of this world to get a hold of you and you're not spiritual like you used to be and there are people that are pulling you away and you're all wrapped up with them and recreation and business and all kinds of stuff and you're all excited about that but you've lost your first love and you've lost your fervor. You don't, my God, I better go over here. You don't pray like you used to. You don't read the Bible but God says that season's about to come to an end. He's gonna remove those people. He's gonna open a door and put people in your life that are encourage you to go deeper in the Lord and you're gonna get on fire for God and you're going to go get hungry after God and I believe this seven day fast is the oh my God, is the open door for this church we need to walk through it and say God do something in my life hallelujah there I didn't look at anybody Let me see if I can segue back to the text. There is a concept both in theology and psychology known as liminal space. If you've ever heard the phrase subliminal, then you're a little bit familiar, a subliminal message. Liminal space is the intermediate in-between transitional state where you cannot go back to where you were because a threshold has been crossed. And you have yet to arrive where you're going because it is not available to you yet. Let me use an imagery that might help you understand this. It is where you walk through one door and it closes. And the, the door that you are to go through, the next door to open up is ahead of you, but you're in a hallway. Liminal space is the hallway. And sometimes the hallways are short and sometimes the hallways are long. And to use a sanctified term with spiritual, incredible spiritual overtones, one day it said this, the hallway can be hell on earth. Because it is in the hallway that you will experience pain and discomfort. It is in the hallway that your faith has to be maintained. It can't be short. You have to maintain it through all of the different challenges and things you face as you're moving, as one season ends, but you're moving to the next season. It's where the devil shows up and says, see, you, God's not working for you. This thing's not going to happen. Why did you trust God? You need to go back through that door. You need to go back to the way things used to be. God's not going to do anything in your life. You see, it's it's the hallway that's it's hell on earth. But here's what we've learned. You have to keep the faith and you have to push through and you have to fight through. We're in the liminal space. I've had numerous liminal spaces 
And by the way, let me just say this because I like this. In order, to you, in order for you to come to your new orientation, sometimes you have to experience some disorientation. And that's the liminal space. And let me tell you what happens in the liminal space. We want to we get out of the liminal space. We don't, like that, we don't like that no man's land. It feels like no God land. It's not. God's in control. But we don't like that. But listen to me. It is in the liminal space, the transition from one thing to the next thing, from this to that, where God does his work in you to prepare you so you can walk through the next door. You can't bypass this. You can't rush this. Abraham was in the liminal space between the promise and the fulfillment of a son in his old age. But he got anxious and decided to help God out and he cut out a side door in the hallway and got with Hagar and had Ishmael. And that's why we're having trouble right now with Iran because Ishmael is the father of the the Arab nation, and not all our Arabs are bad, but my point is, you see the turmoil that's there between the Arabs and the Sunnis and the Shiites, and now with America and Israel, all that is prophesied in the Bible. And none of that would have happened if, if Abraham would have just stayed in the liminal space and kept his eyes on God. I've had numerous liminal spaces. Liminal spaces. I had, I've had some recently, but I don't want to talk about those. I just don't. They're too recent. But I'm going to tell you about the liminal space I was in in 1997 and 1999. And those of you who've been through Growth Track, you'll, you'll remember this. It was in 1997 that while I was an associate pastor at Praise Cathedral in Greer, South Carolina, that God called me to plant a church in Anderson, South Carolina. And so now I have a calling and I know that the door there is shutting. The season is coming to an end. And now I am in the liminal space from there moving to a place that I haven't got to yet. And that liminal space for me lasted two years. I told your brothers and sisters in the first service, I must be a hard case. I, I wished it had been two months, but it was two years. And I didn't understand what was going on in that two years. Let me tell you what happened in that two years. I got restless. I got impatient. At the same time, I got visions. I had dreams. God gave me the vision and the dream for this church, the kind of church I wanted to plant and pastor. All of those things happened in the liminal space. But, but I got frustrated. I had a crisis that occurred in that liminal space. I felt pain. And I've told this story before, but I'm going, I'm going to tell it again. At one point in the liminal space, I looked at Leah. I, I was so frustrated because I did not know how to make this happen. And so I told Leah one day, I said, I've made up my mind. I said, we're going to resign from Praise Cathedral. We're going to just step out on sheer faith and move to Anderson and plant a church. And when I said it, Holy Ghost conviction came on me as if I had committed murder. I was like, what is this? And I knew what it was. God was saying, oh, no, you're not. You're not going to shortchange this. That is not my plan. But I got it in my head because I am a little stubborn, only a little. Leah, I got it in my head. I lived under conviction. 
I went to bed under conviction. Y'all ever had Holy Ghost conviction? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? It's miserable. It's miserable. I went to bed with it. I got up with it. But I wouldn't. I said, I'm going to do it. I can't keep living like this. I'm on a softball field. We had three softball teams at Praise Cathedral. Lee and I played softball. I was pitching that game. I'll never forget it. People in the stands playing another church. I'm out there in the middle of the game. We're playing. I'm throwing the ball under conviction, pitching. And I remember, I'll never forget it. I pitched. This guy hit it out to left field. I don't know if it got caught or what. I'm under conviction. I can't take it. I did this. I know if anybody was watching me, they thought our pastor, youth pastor, has lost his mind. I said, okay, out loud. I said, okay, God, I won't go to Anderson till you tell me. Out loud, standing on a pitcher's mound in a softball game. And when I did, just like that, the conviction lifted off of me. You got to stay in the liminal space. Because what I found was between that door and this door, God had to work on me. And I look back now and understand that God had to prepare me to make the transition from being a youth pastor to a lead pastor, from being a church manager to a church planter, from living in Greer to living in Anderson. There were things that had to be done, things that needed to be coordinated, other people that he had to deal with. There was so much that went on in those two years as God began to bring all the strings together and tie it together and make this beautiful tapestry that I couldn't see. All I could see was the back of the tapestry, and it just looked like a mess, and I, I didn't have control of it. I didn't know what to do, but when God got through, and in January of like 23rd, 24th of 1999, when we had our first service at Teal Hannah High School, God flipped it over and said, now here's what I was doing, and that's why you had to be in the liminal space when 264 people showed up for our very first service. You have to exercise faith in the liminal space. Job, Elijah, Moses, Paul, even Jesus had a season of liminal space, but it was necessary to prepare them to be effective and productive as they walked through the open door. You think two years is a long time? Moses spent the first 40 years of his life as a prince of Egypt. The next 40 years of his life as a shepherd on the backside of a desert, nobody knows him. Now, you want to talk about a long hallway? It's like something at Buckingham Palace. But he stayed in it, and he had the, the flaming fire and, and the burning bush. God called him, and he tried to make excuses, and he ticked God off because he kept trying to back out. And God said, you can't go back to Egypt as a prince, but I'm going to send you back as a deliverer and a prophet. Okay? You go back, you'll go back as a slave, but if you go forward through this door, you'll be a slave liberator. See, God knows more than we know. God knows better. And so from Jesus' words of the congregation of Philadelphia, we can extrapolate some truths that will aid us in walking through the open doors. I'm, I'm coming to a close. I want to say this first. Do you notice in Revelation 3 that, that Jesus said to the congregation, see, I have set before you an open door. Did you all see that? Do you know what that tells me? I want to say this on the first Sunday 
of this new year. You know what that tells me? That tells me that God just doesn't just open doors for individuals, but he opens up doors of opportunities for churches. And I am believing with all my heart that this year God is opening doors for our church and we have to be ready as a congregation to walk through. We need to be unified. We need to have solidarity. We need to be one in our faith and in our hope and in our confidence in the Lord. And we need to go through that door and say, come on, God, we're ready. Whatever the next step is in our divine destiny, let's do it. It's an adventure. Let's go together. And so that's what we have to do. And I don't know what those doors are. It's only the 5th of January. I know that, Lord willing, I think next Sunday, those in charge, we're going to go live stream with our service. So y'all better be pumped up every Sunday because I think we're doing this one. Smile real pretty. I want to give you two truths that what I read here are absolutely necessary if you want to go where God is calling you to go. Truth number one, you and I cannot make these things happen. It has to be the work of Jesus. We have limited resources, but compared to God, we have but a little strength. Limited in resources, connections, money, personnel. Y'all, God is unlimited. The older you get, you will learn that you live life by one-liners. All the older folks said, yeah, you do. You live life by one-liners. That's why, you, that's why your dad has all these one-liners. Have you ever noticed that? I have, I have uh, T. Davidisms from my dad. I have Bobby Johnsonisms from Pastor Johnson. You get these one-liners. Well, fortunately, at 33, when we planted this church, I had a one-liner back then that I held on to that somebody had given me. And here it is. Listen to me. This is for you. Where God guides, he always provides. He's not going to call you someplace and then leave you hanging. And so you're going to have to say, see, what happens is that people have opportunities, and they, they start saying all the reasons why they can't do it. And what, which All you need to say is, but can God do it? That, it's not the question, can we do it? The question is, can God do it? Somebody said, if you have a vision that, that you can do on your own, then it's too small. Because a real vision from a church is a vision that's so big that the only way it'll happen is that God has to make it happen. I, I want us to be that kind of church. How about you? I want to be that kind of man of God or woman of God for y'all ladies. How about y'all? Where I'll say, God, I, I can't do it, but you can do it. And then who gets the glory? He does. So that's truth number one. You can't make it happen. you got to wait on the Lord. Here's truth number two. God unlocks and opens doors to those who are obedient and faithful to him. And that's what Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia. He said, you have a little strength. And he said, I know that you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. So listen, someone might ask, why isn't God opening a door for me? Why isn't it happening, Pastor? Well, God may be asking, if I open a door for you, can I trust you to walk through it and do what I've called you to do? He only opens doors for those who will walk through it. Do you know why God called Leah and me to plant High Praises Church in Anderson, South Carolina? Because he knew we would pack up our stuff, resign our position, 
at, at Praise Cathedral and come over here and take a chance with God. He, we, he knew we would do it. We didn't know what the future would hold. We had no idea. We had none. But we took a chance with God. And he knew he could trust us. And then when Jesus said, you have not denied my name, let me teach you this. He was saying, you have not spoken, spoken negatively against my name. That's what it means in the, in the original Greek. You have not spoken negatively against my name. Let me teach you something, y'all. God opens doors for those who have faith. Believers. People who trust God. People who are positive in their trust in God. Um, I don't want to be like a positive motivational speaker. But if you're going to walk through open doors, you have to be a positive person. You, you, have to have, you, you can't be negative. Negative people tell you all the reasons why they can't. Positive people find one reason why you can. One person, one reason we can do this. When, when the children of Israel were supposed to go in the promised land, they sent 12 spies, 10 of them came back and said, we look like grasshoppers compared to them. We can't do this. We can't do this. And Joshua and Caleb said, you guys got it all wrong. With God, we can do anything. We can do this. What are y'all talking about? Let's go. See the difference? I don't want to be in the 10. I want to be in the two group. And so it'll reflect in your speech. You'll say things like, God can do anything. You'll say things like, God can bring something from nothing. I don't know how many times I read that passage in Romans, and I, I grabbed a hold of me, and when we were planning high praises, that two-year liminal space, I, would, I kept reading that verse, and I said, God, when, when, you, when you created this world, there was nothing there, nothing. You created ex nihilo, nothing. But you spoke, and then something existed. And God, there is not a high praises church in Anderson, but I'm believing that you're going to speak it. And that God, there's going to be a high praises church where there's nothing, there's going to be something. And y'all look what the Lord has done 21 years later. My God, somebody ought to praise him in this house. That's what I kept saying, God, you're going to bring this out. And I, I kept, just kept saying that. You're going to say things like, I know the God that I serve is able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything I could ever ask or think according to the power that is at work within me. You say those positive things. If you're going to walk through a door open to you by Jesus, you have to enter the new season in confidence with him, ready to give him all the glory. 21 years later, people say, it's just amazing what the Lord done. And I said, yeah, God did it. God did it because I'm not that good. I, never, I had never planted a church. And there weren't all these tools. You know, Josh and Scott, Pastor Josh and Scott planted churches, and they had all these tools and ark and all these resources. I didn't have a thing. We didn't have the Internet. I took ads in the paper. Yeah, that's archaic, isn't it? Some of the younger folks are saying, my God, how did we make it? <laughs> Look what the Lord has done. So here's a nutshell that I want to give to you. As a, words in a nutshell that I want to give to you. Obedience says to God, you can trust me. Faithfulness says to God, I trust you. You want me to say that again? 
Obedience says to God, you can trust me. I'll keep your word. I'll do what you want me to do. But faithfulness to God says, I trust you. I'm going to be faithful to you because I believe that, God, you're going to come through on your end. See, we're faithful to him because he's faithful to us. The Bible says if we, were, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because that's his attribute. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.